listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Hey, a couple of things I want to do today. Um, number one, when I read, we're going to be in Philippians, but when I, I, I've been reading in uh, Corinthians a little bit, and here's what encourages me when Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, and when I... And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but I decided one thing. I knew one thing. I knew Jesus Christ, and I knew him crucified. I didn't come with fancy word. I didn't come with eloquent speech. I didn't come with some, some gimmick that's going to hook you. Folks, that's all I'm coming with today, and I pray that that's all we hear today. So I, I've already prayed for you. I've prayed for me, but I want you guys right now, if you would, would you pray for me in that I would get out of the way? And that let the scriptures do what the scriptures do. And we pray that they would not return void. And that's the promise in scripture that, that, that's written in the New Testament. That if we throw them out there, they will not return void. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the gospel. And I pray, Lord, as difficult as it is, that I would get out of the way of me. And I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be heard today. I pray, Lord, that if, if there is a heart that doesn't know you right now and, and desires you and has their hope and trust in you, Lord, I hope that today, Lord, through the reading of the Scripture, they might hear that and that veil would be taken down. And so, Father, would you just make your name great today? Would you make the name of Jesus great? Would... Um, would you let us see what your ultimate desire is for us, and that is to glorify you? So would you help us do that? And I pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get to work. Um, we're going to be in Philippians. So if you want to find Philippians and put your finger there, it may take us a little bit of time to get there. But Philippians is in the New Testament. It's a small letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. It's after the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans. Then you get through Corinthians and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Find it. It's only four chapters. It's easy to miss. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to parachute down into the middle of chapter 3. But before I do that, and I'm pretty convinced that there's three types of people here, and I believe they're here every week. In the three types of people that are all going to be preached to today, the first type of person is the person who's going to hear what is said today and what, what is heard in the scriptures, and they're going to agree with that, and they're going to acknowledge that, and that's part of their life, and that's their desire, their heart, the things that are read today, and they want to go after those things. Whether they're there or not fully, that's their desire, and I will get a lot of head nods from those people, and I need those head nods. That'll just make me feel better as I preach the word. And so there's that group of people. And then there's the group of people who, um, who, who you, you, I guess the world might call you religious because you're a faithful attender in, at church and you do some of the religious activities and morally you're probably on a pretty good level. And um, whether you are a Christian or not, that's not for me to decide, but, but you're in this category and you're going to hear some things that are, that are taught today and you're going to hear them say, Really? That's the character and nature of God? Because that's difficult to follow. I mean, I believe in this God creator and I believe in this... In Jesus, but some of the things you're saying, Rental, are very, very difficult to say. And I've been in church all my life, but I've just never heard it like that. And so there's that group. And then there's a camp of people that, that you're just checking Crosspoint out. And I know it's summer, so people are in and out. Soldiers are in and out. And you've heard about Crosspoint. They meet up there. And, 
And, and the guy yells and spits a little bit too, so go check this guy out. I mean, it's a, it's a different place. And so you're up here, and you're not even unsure. You, haven't, you didn't grow up in the church, and this is just kind of a step out on faith for you to even come check this out. And so you might hear some of the things today, and you might go, really? That's very, very difficult. But I want to preach to all three groups today. I want to preach to the first group, I want you to hear the things that are said because we need to be reminded over and over and over again about these truths. For the second group, I want you to evaluate your life and evaluate, evaluate your faith and, and examine your life to see whether you're in the, in the faith, as Paul tells the Corinthians. And in the third group, I just pray that you would hear some things. And that if you're in the second or the third group and you have doubts about some of the things that I say or you hear some things that Brad says sometimes, you go, that's hard. That's, that's hard to hear. I pray that you would not leave here, walk out of here, and go, I just, I can't swallow that. That is difficult stuff. What I would pray that you would do, that you would have the courage to, to come forward, not necessarily during the service, but, or even after the service, as we call it, but come at some point and say, listen, what you said is hard. And what you preached, Brad, or what you preached, Rental or Don, that's difficult stuff for me to, to to kind of wrap my head around can you tell me or can we talk about how you land there or how you get there and so that would be my prayer for group number two and group number three instead of walking out of here and going ah that, 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 i don't know about that that's not the god i know that's not the jesus i know and that's that's definitely not my character in nature so instead of just walking out like let's talk about it i would welcome you talk, telling me hey i'd love to meet with you and talk about that brad would welcome that don would welcome that there are other men and women in this church who would welcome that let's talk about let's get into these deep discussions i was having coffee Friday morning with a guy who's not part of this church and we were talking deep we were going we took the submarine below the surface and and we went into the character and nature of God and he said well I never have these discussions I do group things I have um, fellowship with it we never take it low my encouragement to you is take the submarine down sometime and take it deep below the surface let's talk about the character and nature of the God and character and nature of man. Let's talk about our response to what Christ has done. So those, those, those are the three groups I think we're talking to. I want to answer three questions today. I, as we read Philippians, I want to ask, I want to answer this question. Can you and I say the things that Paul says in this short little snippet of scriptures in Philippians? Number two, I want to ask ourselves, I want to ask me, I want to ask you, is the desire of my heart and the desire of your heart the same as the desire of Paul's heart? And question number three, if it's not, am I okay with that? And if it's not, are you okay with that? So that's my goal. And before we get there, I'm going to spend the first maybe 10 minutes or so doing what we call proof texting. And sometimes that's a little bit dangerous, proof texting, meaning I'm going to take some scriptures just to prove some points, okay? And that can, be, that can really go out on a limb and be very dangerous. So if you hear proof texting all the time, going, see, it's right there, that verse, that verse right there means that, that's dangerous. And then I'm going to take the second half and we're, we're going to expositionally look at this little section of scriptures. But the reason I'm going to proof text, I want to talk to you about Paul and what his kind of... Um, foundational belief was before we get into his letter and I guess today in today's terms you would call that his worldview I want to talk about Paul's worldview we all have a worldview I don't know if you've ever asked yourself what is my worldview that would be taking it below the surface a little bit if you're never asking yourself what is your worldview have that discussion sometimes we all have a worldview some of us don't even know what our own worldview is I want to talk about Paul's worldview because it gives us the framework to hear what he says in Philippians so there's four truths in his worldview I'm going to actually open my notes in case I have not in case <laughs> so that I can go to them um, in his worldview there's one there's four truths truth number truth number one 
There is one God. Paul's worldview, truth number one, is that there is one God. And this God has a lot of attributes. I'm going to read a few. I'm going to proof text with some scripture. Some of the things that, uh, that Paul believed about God. Truth number one, there is one God. He created all things. Genesis 1.1 says God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 148, verse 5, for he commanded and they were created. There's one God, he created all things. There is one God, he has always existed. Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Revelation 1, 8, the, the, the Lord says, I am the Alpha and Omega, who was and is and is to come. So Paul believed that there is one God, that he created all things, that he has always existed. He's existed from eternity past to eternity future. Truth number one, there is one God, and this God lacks nothing. Listen to Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives, all, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So there's one God who created all things. He's always existed. He lacks nothing. He is complete in and of, its, of himself. Part of that truth, number one, that there's one God and everything is God and he does whatever he wants. Psalm 50, verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the, fi- in the field is mine. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. All of these are attributes of God. Last one, all things were created for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Revelation 4:11. Worthy, O you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and created. And the last one, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. That's truth number one. There's one God in there. There are so many more. So I'm, taking, I'm proof texting these attributes of, about God. But you know what? The entire Bible is one big proof text about the attributes of God. How big, how majestic, how, how, how awesome he is. And we can't even wrap our head around that. So I'd ask you today and I'd ask me, is that my view of God? Is that what I think about? Is that my default when I think of God? Is that what I think about? Or is my God just a little bit smaller? The God that I think about, can you help me through this situation? Which We do have a God that will help us through our situation. But how glorious and how majestic, how big is your God? And truth number one that Paul believed, part of his worldview, that there's one God and he holds everything together. He spoke it into existence. He is before time. He is after time. He's outside of time. He's a huge God. Truth number two would say that mankind, humanity, has rejected this God. Truth number two that Paul believed that we as humanity have sinned against a holy and righteous God. It took place in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and it continues to this day. That would make us 
And, and Paul would say that our heart, that man, mankind is depraved, that we are wicked above all things. Welcome to Crosspoint if you're visiting. You're wicked above all things. This is Paul's truth that he believes. There's one God and that mankind has rebelled against this God. And that we, as, human, as humanity, are sinners by nature and choice. Sinners by nature because we're in the lineage of Adam. Okay, that means even, I tried to explain this to Buddy, but that means even while you sleep, you're sinning. And, of course, they want, they want to put some substance to that. Tell me what I'm doing when I'm sleeping. That sin, it's just that is our sin nature, that we're sinning just constantly. The heart is wicked above all things, Jeremiah says. So we are sinners by nature because we're part of the lineage of Adam, and we're sinners by choice because, as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, we constantly choose the created over the creator. That is just where we, that's where we live. That's what we, we, we are, the heart is an idol factory that we make so much of other things other than the created God and the things that we make much of are not necessarily bad things, but when we take a good thing and make it a bad thing or, or make it a God thing, it turns into a bad thing. And so our heart is an idol factory consumed with ourselves. And I, 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 you know, it's easy to think about the, the Friday night sin, the big one that makes the headlines, and we can point that out in a person and go, look, you sinned, you cheated on your wife, here's the consequences, let's go, let's take care of that sin, let's talk about it, here's this sin uh, that's very public and outgoing, but it's those sins are kind of on the back page in the classifieds that we have to dig deep to find that are kind of within ourselves those are the ones that, that uh, we don't really want to reckon with because when we think of sin, we're thinking of how we compare ourselves to everybody else. It hit me on an example this morning about my own sinfulness, and it hits me all the time, but up to this Sunday in preparation, I've been cool. I've been cool. I've talked to people, not, a few, not, not many people, but a few people. I've been, it's fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, I'm prepped, and all I want, this is what I would tell them, all I want is that, that the name of Jesus would be made great on Sunday morning. That's all I want. That's all I want. But then this morning, well, about 1.30, I woke up. My eyes were wide awake. Couldn't go back to sleep. Well, I did go back to sleep, and then 5.30. I mean, I was up at that point. So I got up, began to read, and constantly what started just filling me up was, what are people going to think of Reynolds? What, I hope, what are they going to think? Are they going to be impressed with me and what I say? Are they going to think of, are they going to like it? Is my reputation on the line? In other words, I just became so self-absorbed this morning. And that right there in itself is idolatry. And we're all filled, filled all of us are filled with it. All of us. And if you doubt that, let me just ask you this and think about it later. How much time today have you spent thinking about you? How much? A lot. You're, you're thinking about how is this day going to play out for me? You're thinking about is, is the situation going to work? Are we going to be out of here on time? Because I've got stuff. To, how, is, how is this day? We do that every day because we wake up drinking out of the fountain of self-absorption. We are so absorbed with ourselves. Some of you are not. Me, yeah, because we've had this discussion before. Some of you, that's new to you to go, really? I mean, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. Okay, yeah, compared to your neighbor, you might be a good guy, but compared to a holy, righteous God that deserves all of our glory and all of our praise, we are wicked at heart. Listen to the scriptures. It says Romans, Romans 3.23, For all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 
Verse 10 and 11, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Truth number two is that we've all rejected a holy and righteous God. And because of that, and because we are Americans and we understand justice and fairness, there needs to be a consequence for that. God does not judge on a sliding scale. God would declare us all guilty and in need, and not in need, but deserving a consequence. The wrath and the judgment of God. So, Riddle, are you trying to tell me that God sees all sin as the same? And that all sin, even those kind of selfish thoughts that I had, all sin deserves the same punishment and separation from God, the wrath of God? Is that what you're trying to tell me? No. The Bible's telling you that. The Bible is full of that. They're talking about Noah's Ark today in kids' church. They're talking about how long it took to build the ark. They're talking about how the water flooded the earth. And they're talking about the animals that came on. We used to have a song, they came on, they came on, they came on by Tuesday, Tuesday. And excuse, I mean, we decorate our nurseries with Noah's Ark. Can I just ask you, where's all the dead people? Do they draw those in the nursery? All the ones floating when, when the wrath of God came down on mankind to just wipe out humanity? I like, the, I, like, I like that part. See, character and nature of God. Do we understand character and nature of God? See, Paul believed that there is one God. He created all things. He believed that humanity, all of mankind, all of us have rejected God and are deserving of his wrath. If you don't believe that, I would love to discuss that with you. Brad would love to discuss that with you. But if you have trouble with that, it's understandable because Jeremiah 9, I think I mentioned this verse earlier, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're visiting Cross Point today, I'm sure you're glad you came. But the good news is truth number three is that God himself sent a, God sent a substitute. He sent himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty. This is called substitutionary atonement. If you're looking for the theological world, he, he sent himself as a substitute to atone for our sins. We call it the double imputation, meaning our sin went on Christ, and our, yeah, our sin went on Christ, and his righteousness came to us. We talk about the cross, and, we, and we, you hear it in church circles, but do we understand the implications of the cross and what happened at the cross? There's a great book called Death by Love, which talks about the atonement and what happened at the cross. It's by Mark Driscoll. It's on our reading list. I would strongly encourage you to read that book or a book like like it that talks about the atonement i would also strongly encourage you to read things that talk about the character and nature of god i'm not saying you have to read that all the time but i'll tell you what draws our attention in reading is christian living how we can make this christian life work out better for us and careful with that okay careful with that let's at least every now and again read a book about the character and nature of god so we can be reminded of his majesty and how great he is 
But God sent himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Ephesians 2, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you stick around here long enough, you're going to hear this verse a lot. For our sake... He made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God, the exchange that took place, the double imputation. Jesus got my sinfulness, and I got his righteousness. Two things happened there. And 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of For our sins, meaning all of the wrath of God that was deserved for me, even for my thoughts this morning, took place on the cross. And so that God, the Father, was fully satisfied on the work that that, that, uh, Jesus did on the cross. That is propitiation. He's satisfied. It's done. My sin and yours. In 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. So God sent himself as a substitute, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty. Truth number one, there is one God. Truth number two, mankind has rejected and rebelled against this God. Truth number three is there that God sent himself, came as himself as a substitute to pay the penalty for our rebellion against him. Truth number four, it's the last truth, and then we're going to jump into Philippians. Truth number four is that unless you believe and put your faith, hope, and trust in truth number one, two, and three. You are still under the wrath and judgment of God. That's truth number four. Acts four, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which, with which we must be saved. John 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to the Father, the only way to to spend eternity with the Father is through the work of Christ on the cross. There is only one way to salvation. That is the gospel. Those four points are the gospel. Without the gospel, there is no Christianity. It doesn't exist. The gospel is heavy truth that there is a magnificent God that we've rebelled against, and God came and paid the penalty, and we must put our faith and hope and trust in that. That is the gospel, and if if you're not hearing the gospel over and over and over again, then you're going to buy into another gospel that my efforts may do something. And that's what we're going to talk about today in Philippians. This is the framework by which Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3. So if you're in Philippians, I'm going to read. We'll talk about it. And then we'll respond to it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. I'll talk about Paul's specific circumstances as we kind of go through it. Um, but I'm going to read the entire fir- uh, verse 1 through 12, and then we'll kind of unpack it. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe 
for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to, I lost my spot. as to righteousness under the law, no, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There is so much packed into these 12 verses I'm going to try to pull out a few things from them which speak to us and speak to how we view the law and how we view Christ. Number one, when he starts off, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. When I hear Paul say that, I hear Paul saying, praise God. Praise God. I'm in prison, but praise God. Because what's happened is even the folks in prison, it's turned out to advance it for the sake of Christ. And those people who have heard me proclaiming the gospel in prison, now they're more bold to proclaim the gospel. So I'm in prison, praise God. Excellent. He says early in that letter, if I live, great. But if I die, no problem. Matter of fact, I'd rather die because if I get to see, if I die, I get to see Christ immediately. Praise God. But if I live, I get to see you, and I get to worship with you, and I get to preach the gospel more often. Praise God. Paul's just exclaiming, praise God, praise God. Hey, if I'm hungry, praise God, because then I get to depend on Christ for my, for my food. I get to chew on him. I get to let him be sufficient for me. Praise God. If I'm well-fed, praise God. I get to eat. Praise God. Hey, if I've got this thorn in my flesh, I've already went to God about it. If he takes it away from me, great. But he told me that his strength was made power in weakness. So guess what, Paul? You're going to have to live with it. Praise God. Praise God. If I get the job, praise God. Because now I can go into a workplace and I can be a light to the world. Praise God. If I lose a job, praise God. Because now I can depend on the people around me. And I can press into God. And I can put my hope and trust in Him and Him alone. And not in a company and not in a job. So if I lose my job, praise God. If I get cancer, praise God. Praise God. Because I get to get down on my knees before the creator of the universe. And know that nothing 
comes to my life outside of the hands of God. Nothing. So I get to praise God that I get to suffer for him and proclaim the name of Jesus in dealing with cancer. If I get healed from cancer, praise God. Praise God. That's the tone of what Paul is writing in this letter when he starts it off. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God in everything. Paul, once he was converted, and you can read about that in the book of Acts, once he was converted to Christianity and came from Saul to Paul, this was his life. Go preach the gospel, get beaten, put in jail, go to another city. Preach the gospel, beaten, put in jail, go to another city. That's his pattern for I don't know how many years. Praise God. The whole letter of Philippians to the Philippians is rejoice. If you're suffering, rejoice. If God's delivering you out of something, rejoice. Praise God. Praise God. I got an email this Thursday from a family in this church. I've gotten to know them just a little bit. Okay, but what I do know is that over the last several years, they've been going through very, very difficult situations. Uh, The circumstances in their life are, I I don't want to say desperate because I don't know them that well, but I do know that according to uh, how we would want things to be, our job working out, our finances working out, our kids working out, it's been a rough haul. This was the email that I got from this person. It says, God has been so faithful during this time. He has shown us his sovereignty, his provision, his, and his grace as never before. I know we are closer to him now than ever before. And she ended it with this. And in this, we rejoice. And we've been struggling financially. We've been struggling with jobs. And we've got teenagers, so you know we've been struggling with that. And in this, God's just revealed himself. Oh, no, he hasn't changed the circumstances. But in this suffering, in this difficulty, we rejoice. And that's what Paul is telling his readers. He's saying, rejoice. Rejoice, whatever's happening. And then he tells them, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it's safe for you. In other words, he's going, you have a tendency to forget. We all do. We have a tendency to forget the things of God. We remember what we want to remember. We remember our agenda and how it might work out and play for us. We remember those things, but we forget the things of God. So Paul is constantly in his letters telling his readers to say, I'm going to remind you of this again. I've already said it once, but I'm going to tell you again. Peter tells his readers in 1 and 2 Peter, he says, hey, it's no trouble for me to stir you up by way of reminder. I've got to remind you again, again, and again, because you guys forget. Jude wrote it in his letters. Remember, it was God who brought you across the across the river and the dry land and just wiped it. Remember, you guys forget it. You forget it. You forget it. So I would ask you and I would ask me, how are we remembering the things of God? Do we have anything set up in our life to remember these things? Because my tendency is to forget. You hear me say it all the time when we bring a soldier down here, we talk about someone who's going out into the mission field. I tell you all the time, don't forget. We can't forget these people. Our mind is just so distracting. We have smartphones that remind us of appointments because we can't remember anything except that really affects us. Remember back to that idolatry that we have? Anything that plays out for us, oh, we'll remember that. We'll remember how to adjust our schedule if we have a golf game. We'll remember that. We'll remember if there's a World Cup game on at 2, 2.30. Oh, everything just worked out. Fancy, finished all the chores. Imagine that. Huh. We'll remember those things, but we'll forget the things of God. I was reminded of this recently. It was about a year ago. I was working with our youngest son, Bennett, on math. And 
We were working on fractions and adding fractions. We had done it the night before. So we're sitting at the dining room table. I believe the problem was something like this. What is one-third plus one-fourth? And he said one-seventh. Now some of you are laughing, and the other half of you are going, what's so funny? (laughs) Mm. One-third plus one-fourth is not one-seventh. I said, Bennett, we just did this last night. What do you have to do before you add fractions? He said, I forgot. What? I forgot. What, what, I don't know what to do before you add fractions. You don't know what you have to do before you add fractions? We spent an hour here last night doing the very thing. How did you forget how to add fractions? It's simple. And I got, I, I probably didn't respond exactly like that, but it, this is math, this is children, this is frustration. And it was a little bit, I said, Bennett, just go, go, go away. You know, I'm probably distracted on my computer doing work stuff, trying to help him with math. We were both frustrated. I'm sorry, I, 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 I just forgot, I just forgot. So I sent him away, just let's, you cool, I'll cool, we'll come back. And I was reminded right then, saying, do you realize, Reynolds, how often you forget the majesty of God? Do you realize, Reynolds, how often you forget that it's his word, as Hebrews says, that holds everything together? Do you forget that it was Christ's work on the cross? It's not you, Reynolds, that brought anything to the table. Do you forget that? You forget that all the time, Reynolds. And it was an example of me of the grace and mercy of God and that I need to have that with my children. I need to have grace and mercy in simple little things because our natural bent humanity is just to forget stuff. So we brought him back. You've got to get common denominator. One-fourth would be three-twelfths. And one-third would be four-twelfths. And it would be seven-twelfths. Hey, I'll show you again. I'll show you. And that's what our Heavenly Father will say to us. Hey, I'll show you again. I'll tell you again. That's what Paul's telling these readers. Hey, it's no trouble for me to tell you the same things to you again. And it's safe for you. And in this particular instance, what he's telling them again is a warning. He tells them, look out for the dogs. Watch out. These aren't the kind of dogs you're thinking about. I've seen your dogs. They show up on Christmas cards. Your dog has a Facebook page. I'm not making this up. I'm not a Facebooker. I'm a ninja Facebooker. I mean, I look over Danielle's shoulder as she's Facebooking. She had a request up in her right corner of her Facebook from Toby. (laughs) Toby said, I haven't heard from you in a while. Will you be my friend again? Toby's Fincher's dog. <laughs> I mean, our dog, and I'm, I'm very careful with this because I know I'm on the borderline of getting one of those dogs with the frou frou bow. I think I'm borderline on it, but that's not the kind of dogs that Paul is talking about when he's talking to. He's talking about dogs that attack. He's talking about people who are going to attack. And I'm very familiar with dogs that attack. Several years ago, I was running down the road on Warm Springs Road going north, and it was only two or three guys we were running, and these two dogs came out, and he was, one of them was pretty vicious, and I kind of stuck my arm down. It attacked me, or actually, I just put my arm in his mouth, but it drew blood nonetheless. So I call that my attack. So I'm very familiar with a dog that attacked. Now what I've noticed 
is that when we run, if we run in a pack of maybe seven or eight people and there's one dog, there's a dog out on Gray Rock Road. I don't know if you guys, right off of Veterans, we'll run by on, uh, on Gray Rock Road. And right when you turn right on Gray Rock, a house on the left, there's a dog or two or three that'll just come out and get after us. Keith Williams, who's not here today, he's spelunky. He'll run that by himself and that dog will just get after him. He will go. But if we come by with a pack of eight or nine or ten, that dog will look and go, whoa, whoa, watch out. The message is, is in that is that we're going to be attacked. We're going to be attacked as Christians, and we need to run in packs. I'm not talking goofy little packs. I'm talking we need to have the shield up for one another. We need to have each other's backs. We need to be protecting each other. We need to look for each other's blind spots. We need to be aware. And so Paul is telling the, the Philippians, saying, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And what he's talking about in this particular instance are the Judaizers who have said that, hey, you've got to add something. It's okay, y'all doing this Jesus thing. We're going to let that slide a little bit. But hey, as long as you still got the circumcision, as long as you still got this uh, ritual or tradition or law, we're going to let that slide. But really the law and the ritual and the tr- tradition is most important. And so Paul is telling this group of people, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, because they're, gonna, they're out there, and they're going to kind of spin it, and they're going to try to take you down in your belief in what the gospel is, what we talked about in those four truths. They're going to try, try to spin it around. And so I would ask you, what are, the, what are the dogs doing in you, and what are they doing to me? Surely you don't believe it's Jesus and Jesus alone. That, that you're telling me that his work on the cross is sufficient and sufficient in all things? That's what you're telling me? That's what you're telling me? Surely that can't be it. Surely you have to do more. You're telling me you don't wear a suit to church? You're telling me you don't have Sunday night service? You're telling me you do this, you do that? What do we want to add? To, what are we adding to Christianity? What are we adding to Christianity that would be parallel to what Judaizers were telling the the Philippians that you need to add this to your belief in order to have a right standing before God? And just saying, watch out. It's a warning. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out for these people. We read about it in um, in Colossians because Paul goes on and says, he says, watch out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. Colossians 2, we went through it several months ago. It says, we don't have a circumcision made by hands. You know, that was the sign. That was a right standing before God. If your child on the eighth day, your Jewish son on the eighth day was circumcised, that was a sign. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 2, he said, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Says, don't get caught up in this trap of adding anything to Christ. Nothing can be added to Christ. It's by Christ and Christ alone. Paul would say, I put no confidence in the flesh because there is nothing good that is in me. It's all Christ. And then we have this little transition. He says, but if anybody had reason to brag, if anybody had reason to boast about their work, their religious, their religious works and their ethnic upbringing, if anybody had reason to boast, hey, it's me. Listen. Listen, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, I had that ritual done. I'm part of the people of Israel. I was part of the, the right tribe. I was part of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to, as to the law, I mean, I was an obedient person to the law. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I had zeal. I was persecuting the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. 
that sound familiar to anything we've got going today? I'm a moral guy, at least compared to my neighbor. Those folks I see on TV, my morality's up here. I've attended church all my life. My grandparents and parents attended church all their lives. My dad's been a deacon and an elder. They taught Sunday school and were greeters. My grandfather, he got to the church before everybody made the coffee and was standing on the steps of Government Street Presbyterian Church as long as I can remember. What a lineage. What a lineage. I've never missed a night of prayer. I'm on the setup team and the breakdown team. I spent two Saturdays recently at Highland Community Church. I read my Bible and I memorize scripture. I've got the preacher's cell phone number. (laughs) And he actually answers it when I call him. Have you seen the books that I read? God, you have to be impressed. I'm pro-life. I watch Fox News. God, you have to be impressed with me. God, you have to be impressed that I'm on your team. Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for me, despite you and me. (laughs) He's not impressed. He's not impressed. We are often no different from the Pharisees and the Judaizers. Holding on. Holding on to our religious upbringing holding on to our ethnic background, holding on to our works. We hold on to it. I mean, we may not admit that. I mean, you know I'm doing that in fun. But inside, there's something in us that we just get really proud of our religious acts and really proud of our religious performance. And this would be called, when we start doing that, it can lead to moralistic deism moralistic deism means means that my credit and my standing before god is all dependent on what i do we have turned the god in, of the universe into this moral moralistic deist out there that we think he's judging us by what we're doing and that can be very very dangerous because what happens is when we go down that road and we do these things and we start working our, our, our faith like that, is that, God, you've got to be impressed with me. Well, and God, you probably even owe me. How can something bad happen to me? And so it all holds water until something bad happens. And then we look at God and say, but God, look at my list. Look at my background. 
Look at who I am. Look at me compared to that guy. You owe me, God. That's not fair. I think God the Father would say to me and he would say to you is that, no, the only thing that's not fair was that an innocent man went to the cross, was slaughtered for your sake. He went to the cross where I should have gone to the cross. That's not fair. We put all of this stuff in our spiritual gain column and we count it as credit. But then in the next part of this verse, the next part of this little passage, Paul takes it the other way. He told him, he said, hey, if anybody's got reason to boast, I've got reason to boast. I've got all the things that were needed in this system of doing what I'm supposed to do. But everything that I had in this gain column, I've now switched it over here. I've put it in the loss column. All the stuff I mentioned, rubbish. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I count it as rubbish. Isaiah would tell us that even our most righteous deeds are rubbish before our Heavenly Father. That it's a stack of cards. It gains me nothing towards salvation. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. And then in verse 10, Paul says this, The only thing in my gain column is Christ. That's the only thing I can put in there. The only thing that goes there, the only righteousness I have comes from Christ. It's back to 2 Corinthians verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for me so that in him I become the righteousness of God. The only thing that makes me right before God is Christ and Christ alone. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die and live to righteousness. It's all Christ. And Paul is telling these Philippians, he's saying, watch out. Watch out for the Judaizers because they're going to bring this stuff in and it's going to sound sexy. It's going to sound good. Your righteous works will make you proud. You're going to look at your resume of good stuff and you, you may not show it off, but you, you hope you at least hear other people talk about it. So that's a trap. You've got to watch out. You've got to die to that because the only thing that goes in the gain column is Christ and Christ alone. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's it. That's all I want to know. I want to know that power that raised him from the dead. That's the power I want. That's the Christ I want to know. Nothing that I do. It's all filthy rags. I want to share in his sufferings. God, if you count me worthy to, share, to suffer for you, bring it on. That was Paul's life. He said, that's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. I want to know him in the power of resurrection that I might share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by, by some way somehow I might attain to the resurrection from the dead Paul would say I want to praise and remember Christ for my justification for that time, that time, that justification that's the time it took place that's when you were made right before God because of what Christ did on the cross and it's when you put your faith, hope and trust in Christ you're justified, you're made right I want to praise God for that and I want to try to grow in Christ's likeness in my sanctification I want to know him, I want to grow in his likeness that's the desire of my heart Paul would say that's all I want I don't want to hang my hat on anything. I don't want to hang my hat on anything that's been done in the past except for the cross. He goes, and I want to wait in anticipation for the glorification. And that's the time when I get to see my Savior face to face. And that's Paul's life. 
And so we go back to the questions that we started with. Can you say and can I say the things that Paul said in this, in this little snippet here? Can you make those claims? Or would you, as Brad said, would you just like to have a better Tuesday? Would you like Christ to come alongside you and just help you through? Is the desire of your heart and the desire of my heart the desire of Paul's heart? Is it? Is it your desire? Now, I'm not saying are you there yet. I'm not saying do you have it all down. Because the encouragement, encouraging part to me is what Paul says right after that. He says, this is the desire of my heart. Hey, I've taken all the good stuff, all of my works, all my ethnicity, all of my religious stuff, and I've put it over here. I've counted it as rubbish. Okay? I've put in 100%. My gain column is now Christ. Christ alone. That's all I've got. That's all I have in the gain column. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And you know what will happen? This column over here will just start pulling you. It'll start tugging on you. It'll start tugging on you and me. We can say today, all I want is Christ. My desire is Christ. Think about the cross. Think about the glory and majesty of God and how great he is. Think about my own condition before that holy and righteous God. And, all, and think of what Christ did on the cross. That's all I want. All I want. And the world's going to pull and pull, and pull. And so Paul said, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. And so you might be able to say today, hey, that's all I want. That's all I want, but I'm not there yet. And listen to what Paul said just after that. I think it's in verse 11, or verse 12. It says, that's the desire of my heart. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I'm not there Tell you what, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it today. I'm going to wake up. I need to be reminded of this today. Hey, Timothy, Timothy, remind me again. Let me remind you. Get you guys around me. Who's reminding me? How am I being reminded? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul would say, listen, I'm not there yet either. I mean, Paul was super Christian above super Christians. But he said, I'm not there yet. Just to be honest, that makes me feel good. If Paul's not there then it's okay if we're not there, but it's not okay if that's not the desire of our heart. Do we want Christ above all things? Or do we want the things of Christ above all things? Do we want the creator? Or do we want the created? What's the desire of our heart? I'll give this last illustration. And guys, y'all can come on back. Um, those of you who travel a little bit, uh, if you're a man or a woman who travels and you have young children, and we create this culture because we always think of what am I going to get out of a situation? And we, even, we have turned this into the gospel. We often think, what am I going to get? And when we even present the gospel, well, oh yeah, believe in Christ and oh, you're going to get comfort and you're going to get peace. Oh, you're going to have peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah, yes, you can get that. But we even feel in our culture that we have to present the gospel as though you're going to get, you're going to get some of the benefits of God. You're going to get these things. Let me list them for you. And it's kind of like when I come back from a business trip, and it doesn't happen as much anymore, but when they were younger, the natural inclination of my boys that I created in them when I would walk in the door, I've got luggage, I've got a backpack, 
what'd you get me? What'd you get? Is that a familiar thing, especially those of you who try? What'd you get me? What'd you get me on your trip? And the reality is, is that Bailey, Bennett, I'm the gift. It's daddy. I'm home. I'm the treasure. I'm the get. And we treat God like that. We say, God, what what, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? And Paul would say, Christ is the get. He is the treasure. Because you may get cancer and you have to walk through that. You may get healed from cancer. We're constantly just looking at what am I going to get out of God? What happens? You know, some of the Christian terminology we use today is that, oh, God has blessed me. Got a raise. Really? Maybe. But maybe what that has caused is that you to turn even more of your focus in on yourself and depend on yourself even more. So, God has blessed me. Got a new job. Really? Well, maybe it's caused you to just turn your focus from the folks you were supposed to be working with and ministering to and focusing on. God has blessed me. He healed me of cancer. Okay? But what happens if he doesn't? You see, if we have a moralistic deist God that says, hey, I'll perform like this if I do this stuff, then it all, the, the stack of cards just crumbles. I know God's faithful. I'm going to get through this situation. I'm going to find a job. I know God's faithful. He's going to heal, heal that marriage. Well, what if he doesn't? You disappointed in that God? See, the God that, that Paul worships and the God that we're proclaiming here is a God that's bigger than all that. It's not the get. It's not the gift. It's God. It's Christ. That's why we, hear, we say all the time, we want to see and we want to savor Christ in Christ alone. That's all we've got. Now, for some of you, you're in that category where you have a stack of religious deeds. And you have a good ethnic religious background that you can trace back to your great-grandfather's church and all the good stuff he did and your parents did and all the stuff that you've done. Okay? And you can hear it in today and understand, yeah, no, that, that doesn't matter. It is in Christ and Christ alone. But then there's another group of you in here that um, you would tell me that I don't have... I, I've got nothing. I've got no confidence in the flesh because if you've seen my background, oh, I'd be embarrassed to tell you. And I would, what I would tell you is that the cross is for you like the cross is for the righteous person, the self-righteous person. I'm convinced if Jesus came in here today, he would, he would spend a lot of time with us because of our pharisaical beliefs. Pharisaical? I'm not sure. But the way we just act just like the Pharisees. And I believe he would just put his arm around the, the lost, the destitute, the one who hasn't stepped inside of a church and just love on them and encourage them. Paul would say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. God, we come before you today. Claiming like we did at the beginning that the only thing we know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
God, the desire of my heart is that I would be able to say that all I want to know is you and you crucified, Lord. But I've already confessed before these people this morning that I get in the way of that. My own self-righteousness, my own self-absorption, my own concern with about what other people think of me. And it just cloudies, muddies the water. Would you help me rid myself of that? Would you give me reminders? Would you give me men and women in my life who can remind me of the cross, who can remind me of the character and nature of God, who can remind me of my own nature and then remind me of the great work of you on the cross who paid it all? God, if there's a person or persons in here who who heard about some of these things today, about your character and your nature, and that about their own character and nature, and they're struggling with that, and they don't really buy that, would you give them the courage to ask questions? God, would you help us all understand, and the person who doesn't know you understand, that all it is is repenting and believing in, in, in the truth of you doing the work, the sufficient work on the cross. As we respond to you, God, would you help us not worry about what other people think of us and let us worship with boldness and gladness. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. Because he is the giver of breath and life and everything. Praise God. Praise God in Jesus' name. Amen.